What's up, coaches? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sky Coach. Sky Coach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and in any size crowd, and their most reliable, innovative software available. And also, again, as I've said, you get a butt shot with Sky Coach during the game that is second to none, and it comes in reliably every time uh, as soon as the play is over. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Sky Coach, the market leader in sideline replay. Visit them at myskycoach.com to learn even more. This episode of the podcast is also powerfully brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of players and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every single program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them online at sidelinepower.com, by email at info at sidelinepower.com, or just give them a call, 800-496-4290. And last, but again, certainly never least, uh, this episode is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. And that's going to do it for the reads today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Zach Bigelow. Coach Bigelow is the head coach at Fossil Ridge High School in Fort Collins, Colorado. Coach Biggs was also a GA at Tulsa with Coach Walls in 2011. Listen as we talk with Coach Biggs about his GA experience at Tulsa, how he has learned the game of football in many different areas, and how he continues to improve the way he coaches and practices. You can follow Coach Bigelow on Twitter at Coach underscore Biggs FRHS. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, when I talk to people, because uh, I have a nine to five, I don't teach. So when I talk to everybody wants to talk about college football and recruiting and stuff, I always go with two stories. The group chat, when I used to just make fun of everybody's superlatives, when they'd be like, this guy is a good looking joker. Really? <laughs> like Batman's arch nemesis, or he just dresses up like the King's Jester. And the other one is the Kyle Hicks story. Oh, that one's my all-time favorite. I'll, I'll let I'll let you tell Harper. I'll let you Harper. T- I'll let you tell Harper that one because you probably tell it better you, than me. 
you probably don't know. Do you remember who Kyle Hicks was, Harper? No, I have no idea. He was a running he back. Five, he played. Yeah, he might have played for now at uh, Arlington Martin, but a five-star tailback. Huh. Like top, top tier guy. Like everybody wanted him. And we were sitting in a staff meeting, like right after, like right when we're getting ready into spring recruiting. Spring ball starting up. And we're like talking about getting guys to campus. And we're going around the room, and everybody's like, who do you got? And it's like, we're at the University of Tulsa. We're winning, but we're not getting five-star dudes out of Arlington. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Coach's like, now there's this running back down in Texas. And he's like, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, 4-4 four, four kids, squats 500. You know, he's like, who is it? It was Kyle Hicks. You know, he's five-star, got some offers in Texas and Oklahoma. And Joe's like – we have a shot at this kid. Oh yeah, I know the coach real well, and we're real connected. And you know, I think we got a shot. Can you get him campus? Oh yeah, I can get him to campus. And Walls is sitting on a laptop in the meeting, going, "Really? Because he just committed to Texas." Just <laughs> 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 like in a staff meeting in front of everybody. Oh, really? Because no. he committed to Texas. Uh, no, no, well, you gotta uh, say what I said at the end. I go, I go. Really? Because he's committed to Texas. Hey, are we still going to get him on campus? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all the guys start laughing. Like, really? Because he's committed to Texas. Oh, <laughs> like a pin drop moment in the staff room. That was phenomenal. Yeah, none of them wanted to say anything, but then uh, <laughs> afterwards they're all like, Walls, that was classic. That was when I think I knew I wasn't going to get a job there anyway, so I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Playing with the house's money. <laughs> yep. Speaking All right, of Bix. money, you know what we should have never stopped doing? We have both. This might be a good podcast story. I'll save it. No, no, do it right now. We'll start it with this. We should have, we should have kept living at the facility. Yes. I, the I thing always, we ever did when we were GAs is started paying rent. Yeah, dude, I totally agree. That's why I wanted to stay. You know, what, what's his face? It said they had like that kind of that lounge area or whatever inside the stadium. I thought right. we should have just went there and stayed there and lived there and then just save your money, not pay rent, not have to worry about it. That was a no-brainer. That great Wi-Fi, best cable I would have ever had. Because we didn't even have cable when we got a place. No. And <laughs> we, the we, only we, time we, we could have said if we lived in a gated community was $25 million. Yeah. I was saying, and then not, not to mention, I mean, we'd just go home and we'd watch film on our deal anyway. Right, exactly. It's not like we were getting away from everything. Hey, you want to go home and do the exact same thing we're doing right now? Yeah. On a smaller TV with slower internet? <laughs> hey, that sounds great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. No, I don't know why we ever did that, but I, I do have to say that the uh, the four-bedroom house with the pool was actually pretty pretty legit. That was pretty sweet, especially because that was the only thing that got us half days on Friday so that BG could get to the pool. Yeah. Harp, it, was, it was nuts because wife. they're like yeah not none of the guys would come over you know wouldn't tell their wives hey i just <laughs> want to go hang out but i mean they just wanted to have like two or three hours to themselves sure. you know because they're working all yeah. the time and they just wanted a place where they could go hang out we had a pool they'd sit out back chill pay for all the food and drink and it was it was awesome so yeah that was a freaking it's not and you know what's funny is they never had us over to their houses no hell no <laughs> oh. That was the other thing I'd say, you know, usually you talk to some of these GAs and they're like, you know, I, so-and-so would always take me out to eat. So-and-so would always get me something to eat. I mean, you could count on one hand the number of free meals you'd get if you wanted to call oh, it yeah. that. Zero. I mean, other, other than the ones that grooms got us, you know, but the, those guys. Say, grooms paid for more meals than any full-time coach and he got paid less than all of them. 
Yeah. So it says a lot. I mean, and again, you probably, they just get used to, you know, everything being catered, not having to pay for a vehicle, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird actually, but whatever. Prolonged adolescence is what I kind of called it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly. Dude, when I got to Oregon state and started doing op stuff and it's like, those guys are making twice three much. And it's just, it's not like they're twice or three times more grateful. They're twice or three times as entitled. <laughs> It's true, man. Harper, what's your story about again? You you're you just got out of high school and you go to college and you're expecting those guys to be what? The best coaches you'd ever seen. Oh yeah. You know, you're expecting you're in college football, these guys are gonna be awesome. And then I've got um, you know, certain coaches that I thought were terrible, and they'd just be like, "Oh yeah, what is uh, what's old CT do? Just CT, you tell them what you do." <laughs> That's how they'd coach, or they'd get on like uh, they'd go to the the cool clinic, and they'd literally buy the buy the film, put it on uh, DSV or whatever we had, and then um, they'd play that for us in meetings. Yeah, see, see, how they, oh see how they do that, and they got their hands. Let's try doing that. Let's try bringing up from our hip from our. Uh, up underneath their, their belt buckle. Yeah, let's do it like that. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this isn't going to last long. And then they're the ones that yeah. get promoted. <laughs> Everyone goes to Texas A&M, and, you know, some of those are the guys that go with them, and you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, is this real? Well, that's what they'd use. They'd have all that stuff, and that'd be, that'd be their drill tape. So it's kind of like, you know, the other right. thing that, that Harper would always say, he's like, you know, it says a lot about a coach who shows clips – but it's not of the team that he coaches. Right. <laughs> you know? That's right. So that's, like, that's one of Harper's favorite things. He's like, you know, this guy's showing me this great clip of power. And it's like, yeah, the New Orleans Saints did a great job running power. Where's your film? <laughs> yeah. I see it on Twitter all the time. There's high school coaches that are like, this is exactly how we teach power. And they show uh, Jacksonville running power with Fournette. And you're like, right. no, no, Jacksonville does run power well, but um, how, Where's how's your, your school doing it, coach? <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> it's a funny business, though, but uh, – Obviously, we could save that for probably uh, – we could fill up probably five podcasts at least there, Biggs, if we, we told all those stories. But we'll, let, we'll let people DM us, and we could tell some of those. But I know you're a dude that loves ball. You and I, you know, live together for quite a while. We get to, to know each other really well at the University of Tulsa. Um, give our guys a little bit of background kind of in, you know, your, your coaching career, how you got into it, where you played, all the stuff you did there. It's, it's a pretty, pretty cool story, and our guys like to hear that. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, good Lord made me fat, slow, and weak. So I was a place kicker. I would have, I would have loved to play a real position. Like people need to know that just like I wasn't big enough or fast enough. And unfortunately, like I can't do what some coaches I've played for have done and like lied later on because it, my profile is on the internet. So you can go see that I was the kicker. If not, I tell everybody I was the backup quarterback and the head coach screwed me. But, uh, yeah, so I played at the University of Northern Colorado and uh, started one year, and then a Samoan gentleman ended my career when a snap went over my head, and he put his helmet right on my spine at the University of Hawaii. And yeah. so I, I had to my scholarship. I say, what busted you your back, couldn't ever kick again, right? Uh, well, I shouldn't have. So <laughs> I went to two doctors, and they both said I'd never play again. And when you're 19, you don't listen to doctors, I guess. <laughs> so I found a third opinion. The guy was finally like, oh, yeah, you can still play. 
And so the first two doctors wanted to put metal spines in my back. And I was like, nah, this guy says he'll just like do a little stitch in his spine and he'll fix it. So I did that. So I could keep playing, but I was never the same. I like had numbness issues and nerve control issues. And so I was like the kickoff guy. And then my last year I was the onside kickstarter. So, you know, I still started for three years. But, um, so I'm not to toot my own horn, but I was a four Oh guy. Like school was always an important thing to me. Yeah. That's my little guy, man. He didn't, I went down to my office, but he, he wants to be on the podcast. That's fine. Harper's kids are always on the podcast. That's awesome. You got to have him. He's running around with a football, just playing catch with himself. That's great. <laughs> so I missed my 8 a.m. class, my 9 a.m. class, my 10 a.m. class, my redshirt junior year because my back hurt so bad I couldn't get out of bed. So I went right to the head coach's office and was just like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think I'm done. And so we went back to the back surgeon. He was like, yeah, you messed it up even worse. So I put the metal rods on my spine, and that was it for me. So when you're a FDS, don't medical you and, and keep paying for your school, but like resources are tight. So if you're going to you know, keep getting scholarship, you got to earn it. Yep. So I was an undergrad student the rest of my junior year. And then I just graduated in four years and didn't use my redshirt year. And so coach had kind of seen what I had done as an undergrad student assistant. And I quickly found out, like, I loved playing, but – the thing I love about coaching is I think it's more rewarding to help a guy achieve his dreams than to achieve them yourself. So I was hooked. Like, this is what I wanted to do. My coach told me we probably weren't going to have a GA spot. I was like, I don't care. I'll volunteer. Like, I just want to be a part of it. Got lucky. A spot opened up. I GA'd where I played, University of Northern Colorado. And then we got fired. But Coach Downing was my head coach at UNC. Got hired at the University of Tulsa. So I went there, GA'd for two and a half years. One year on offense, then second year on defense, which I think was awesome to play on both sides of the ball and be well-rounded. Then I went back to the University of Northern Colorado, started my ops career as the director of football operations. Did that for a year, two years. Then I was the assistant director of football operations at Oregon State. And then I always knew I wanted to get back into high school. Didn't know when it would be, but just from like a family and lifestyle. I, I knew I wasn't going to be a guy that'd be in college football for forever. So the school I'm at now is in my wife's school district. And so she was nice enough to follow me around on my college football journey and travel with me. And so the goal is to always get back to Fort Collins one day. And this job opened up really late, like in April or May, and they were kind of desperate to find somebody. So the school district athletic director, who was an athletic director when I played at UNC, actually reached out to me and was like, hey, it's time to be a high school head football coach. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And so this fall will be my third year here at Fossil Ridge. Such an awesome story. I mean, I, again, I just love how the, the contacts that you make, whether it's, you know, playing or, or being, you know, whether it's high school or college, just the people that you, you meet, that those are the ones that end up that hire you. I mean, it, it seems like every single guy we have on these podcasts, that's what it is. You know, hey, my high school coach knew somebody or, where I played and I knew somebody, it's just amazing how all this stuff kind of ends up, you know, working out, even though you, you really had no clue that it was going to at the start. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, like, you know, it was an incredible opportunity to get hired at UNC. And then we knew we had to win, or that might have been our last year there. And I remember, like, at the end of the season, like, you knew how hard this business was. I was like, wow, am I going to be a one-and-done college football coach? Because, like, we're going to get fired, and I don't know anybody. So where am I going to go? And then 
you know, you, I was just starting to interview to stay at UNC with the next head coach. And you're like, okay, maybe I can make this work. And then University of Tulsa called. And then UNC called when I left again late. And Oregon State came out of nowhere. So, yeah, it's just funny how, you know, these, if you have faith and you work hard and you're a good person, you just keep showing that you're talented and you want to be a part of this business. Like, you know, you're the people you know will continue to drive you. And those relationships are by far the most important part of your career if you want to be in this business. Absolutely. Was it a, was it a tough decision? Or I don't even know if it was a decision, but you were at Tulsa. You said, uh, you know, you switched sides of the ball coaching. Was that um, was that something you were trying to do, just something that you needed to do to, to fill a spot? And so they shifted you over or, or what, you know, what kind of led to that? Well, I, I love offense by trade. Like, that's what I wanted to be was an offensive coach. And the offensive coordinator at Tulsa was the offensive coordinator at UNC. So I'd been under him for two years. Not that you can't always keep learning. But kind of what I was finding out as an offensive GA is I was studying defense all the time. And I was yep. coaching defense all the time. So, like, you're coaching the scout defense. You're studying defenses. Like, you're learning about D-line play and how new blitzes are running, how people run coverages, because that's your job, right, to study the ins and outs of these defenses and then try to explain to the, you know, position coaches and coordinators, like, hey, here's how they run these defenses. Here's these looks. And so when that spot opened up on defense, kind of thinking about going through a third year with the same offensive staff, like, again, could have learned more. but I wanted to study offense. Like, that's what Walls and I did all the time when we were GAs there. That's why yeah. Joe should have lived there. Like, all we did, we couldn't wait to be done with offensive staffing because then we get to go feel the defenses film and study all the offenses that we were playing against. And yeah. so I was so, like, yeah, I'd rather do this all year long and then coach the scout offense. And you and I talked about it. If yeah. we were ever big-time head coaches, we used to say that's exactly how we'd do it. I'd hire my GAs in January. And you'd work with the side of the ball you actually wanted to work with. So if you were an offensive GA, you'd work with the offense in spring, learn the terminology, get familiar with the offense. And then in the fall, you'd go work for the defensive staff. Yes. And you would so study offenses and you'd break them down with your offensive knowledge. And then what you could do is you'd be a translator. So, And you could accelerate, you know, think, you could accelerate your scout and your young freshmen. So now they would know your terminology. Yep, exactly. That's what we did. When we, and that's when how we got to go so fast. We were a no-huddle offense yeah. with our scout offense. We're at Tulsa's because we just used our no-huddle terms to replicate what the opposing offense was going to do. And that's how we got super efficient. And then the guys go in their first spring, and it's like they know what the inside zone footwork is and the terms are and da-da-da-da-da. Exactly. So, so basically what, what you know – when we'd had our kind of our first, you know, little GA round table and we kind of said, all right, let's divide up, you know, you're going to break down this, you're going to break down this. Biggs and I just kind of said, you know what, screw it. Biggs and I'll break down all the film. You know, I think we'd, we'd get some help from some of the other guys. They do some down and distance, but Biggs and I did it because we had a system really fast. So, I mean, I'd sit there at the clicker yeah. and I decided just be telling him, boom, 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 we get it. And, and Biggs was super good with computers. He could just type that stuff in, but there's there games we could break down in 20 minutes. Wow. I think yeah, we was our was our record season. So yeah. he and I broke down 125, 130 games using that system. And the reason we wanted to do it, because then Biggs was like, all right, let's put up this film. And then he and I would sit in there and we're just taking notes on the on, on some other offense that we wanted to learn. And then Biggs would be asking me questions like, okay, Walls, and you were at Jenks. 
you know, what was this? What was this? I mean, it was a chance for me, you know, to kind of converse back and forth, but I was having to teach, you know, and still coach a little bit. And then Biggs was finding out the stuff that he wanted to do. And he's like, okay, this would be the offense I'd want to run. So it was an efficient way for us to be able to get our work done and then also be able to teach each other football. It was awesome. So yeah. let me ask. Let me ask and this: that, like, when you guys are watching that film and you're watching another team's offense, if you find a, a a cool play or a cool concept or something, is it something you tag and put it in a folder for later? Or um, yes, yes, start kind of building your own. I, I don't want to say playbook, but building your own playlist over some really cool different things that other offenses do. And we that, actually were drawing up our own playbook back then. We because Echoes yep. had that play to him. Brady and I would start drawing up our own stuff. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, and big, and Biggs, like I said, Biggs, look. Yeah. yeah, Biggs was so good so like, at, at, you know, so he'd have, okay, here's our here's our two tight end slot package versus even. Here's our two tight end slot package versus under. I mean, Biggs already had all that stuff freaking logged. It was great. Well, I tell people all the time, Rowdy, and you know Walls, Walls taught me more about X's and O's than anybody. Sure. Because I was behind as a GA having been a kicker. Like, everybody else had a lot more playing knowledge and position knowledge. Like, I always was frustrated with that initially. Like, everybody knew more ball than me. Brady was my guy. Like, he taught me more about – I have in my wallet – we played University of Tulane my first year. The back side of the travel itinerary is the playbook Brady and I collected and made. Yeah. Like, we created the terminology, what we were going to call the run game, how we are going to call the pass game, how we are going to do play action minimized it like this is all we need these four runs three protection this play action these two screens yeah well well, sometimes it seems like that's the best um best thing that you could have from a coach though is like like you said you didn't already have a preconceived notion of what things are so you could almost rethink it in a different way and maybe even make things easier for someone that you know had already had preconceived notions of plays or how things are supposed to be worded or used where, you know, you come in kind of fresh and say, why don't we do it like this? This makes a lot more sense. Well, that was always the thing, like, again, not to toot my own horn, but I was always, like, a really high academic guy. And I remember, like, we, you know, you, that was like when you'd start hearing about the leech simplicity and he didn't, him and Holgerson would install their whole offenses in three days and stuff. Right. And we're going through, like, 15 days of install. And I'm <laughs> like, damn, if I still haven't mastered this and picked this up, I know some of the kids we're recruiting have definitely not picked this up and mastered it. Like there's gotta be a simpler way to teach this stuff. Right. Yeah. And that was what I liked. You know, that's why I I liked working with guys, you know, like, like Biggs, like Harper, because you guys would, would question it. And then when you guys, when you guys would question it, it wasn't just one of those, Oh, that's stupid. It was, well, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And that was always kind of the way that I thought too. It's like, you're right. There is a better way to do that. You know? Yeah, that's what I always liked is, like, you and I were always simplifying it down. I don't know if it was because, like, I was learning it or just, like, yeah, like, we're talking about trying to make it the most efficient way possible. But there was always an easier way, I seemed like, to do it. Not to question what other people are doing, but I think it was like when you said, Rowdy, like, when you get to come in with a fresh perspective and look at something, you can say, oh, I have no preconceived notions about this. Let's make it as easy and simple as possible. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that – that helps because that's the kids that you're working with have no preconceived notions of any of it. You know, they're coming yeah. in knowing nothing. So let's coach on that instinct or that from that point of view, because that's where they're coming from anyways. And so I think that kind of helps with a little bit of a, a, a freshness to it and 
Um, you know, nothing nothing really makes me more upset, you know, than when a coach makes something up new or, or has some new terminology or something. You say, oh, um, why are we doing it like that? And they just say, oh, I don't know. I just decided to call it that. Well, <laughs> right, yeah. Why don't we make That's it – the way we've always done it. Why don't we make it mean something so the kids, you know, can really think, oh, this means this or, you know, this has this word in it and so I know it means this. Oh, no, I just like calling it cup because call it cup in, in, uh, in 76. <laughs> okay, what if, I guess yeah. these, these kids that were born in, uh, in whatever, 99 are, are going to know that. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know, like, so like harp is, is perfect because, you know, I, I always wanted simpler ways to do things up front. Well, he played at mm-hmm. Houston, you know, Houston's is going as fast as anybody in the world at that time. Right. So obvi- obviously he, he'd learned calls, he'd learned plays. They were going to be much, much shorter. So that's one of the things I gave him. I'm like, Hey, if there's a better way to call our run game, I want you to take it and run with it. And he, he came back literally in a day and I'm like, dude, this is awesome. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. This makes perfect sense. It's going to make more sense to the kids. The kids are going to learn it. And I think we're going to be able to go faster. And guess what? We, we could. So, I mean, it, it just having, having the, the trust in the guys that you do have and being able to, to listen to those guys, especially when they come with, with great ideas and, and make things simpler. And then not only that, be able to tell me why it's better. I mean, to me, that, that makes just perfect sense. And that's how you grow as a coach. And that's how you grow as a program. Yeah, and I think like that's how a great lesson for head coaches on how to empower their assistants and then also how to be a great assistant. Like when you get hired, you're not hired to blow something up or completely come up with new ideas. You're hired to enhance it. And when you hire a guy, like trust him to have ideas to enhance what you're doing because that's how you can really get better. Yeah, sure. That's but, a, you know, that's a difficult thing to do. I th- I think we, you know, especially when you've had success to to be able to to open yourself up to that. But we were talking to a coach, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, that talking about that's what Belichick does, which is crazy that a coach, you know, that that high and that highly thought of, you know, tells people, hey, tell me where I'm wrong. Right. Exactly. You got to really check your ego at the door to do that, and like that's a really hard thing. I. I understand that the higher I've moved up in the position, like once you just get to the head coaching title, like you really do, you know, you hear somebody question something and it's tempting to like just take offense and think they're just trying to challenge you and question you, but you have to humble yourself and be like, no, he's got a better idea. He has an idea that will enhance what we're doing. You should listen to him. Yeah. It's always the job of a, of a position coach. And it's been one of the things I've had to learn too, because I was, I was awful at it when I was younger. You know, and, and it's, it's being able to, I was, I was horrible, you know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, being able to be a position coach and you're supposed to raise the level of your coordinator up, you know, or raise the level of your, of your head coach up. That's your entire job is to do a great job and raise those guys up, you know, not, not tear things apart, not tear things down. And at the same time, when you're the, the leader or the coordinator, you know, it's, it's a, it's a job for you to, to empower those guys and give them chances to add and grow, you know, and, and I think it just becomes that balancing act. But once you, you're able to, to put your ego aside, you know, it, you learn so much more football and you get so much, much better because now you're not fighting yourself, yourself. It, it gets everyone pulling in the same direction, but it takes some time to learn it. Yeah, it does. And, and I've thought about it too. I'm going through Urban Meyer's book right now. and just, I just got through the chapter today, how he was talking, like one of the things he talked about with his staff is, who's been on a staff that fully trusted each other 
and everybody in the room said no. They've never been on staff like that. (laughs) That's amazing. But I mean, it is, but at the same time, not to be disrespectful because I've been on some great staff. I don't know that I've been on a staff like that either. And it seems like such a simple idea. And you think about how much more productive you can be if everybody was on the same page and committed to the same goal, but it's hard to get there. Oh, especially with football. I mean, and if you've ever played college football, you get your, I don't want to say this over dramatic, but you get your heart broken all the time. You, you hear a coach come in and say, this is my dream job and we're a family and I love you guys like my own kids. And then uh, six months later, they say, I found a new dream job and I've got new kids and we'll see. Yep. Later. Or they say, it's, it's, you know, I got to do what's right for my family. And you said, I thought you said I was your family. <laughs> right. So you, your son. Yeah, that's right. You can't just get a new son, but uh, but you get you kind of get used to that. So your your guard's almost always up just a little bit, or or you get really good, really good coaching buddies that are that are your good friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're gone. Uh, you know, without saying anything to you, and you're like, oh, gee, okay, I, I guess I kind of see where it's going. So it's like you said, it it's hard to trust everyone on your staff. Yeah, and, like, the higher you get in levels, there's more criticisms, more outside factors, more eyes on you. you got to be extreme. Like, I think you have to talk about it and think about it constantly. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I used to always just X's and O's, X's and O's. And now that I'm a head coach, like, you still, I still love X's and O's. But that's almost more of a hobby now in terms of what my responsibility is because now I'm constantly thinking about, how do we enhance our culture? How do we enhance our chemistry? How do I get our staff that are on the same page? Like it's still football, it's just a different version of it. Um, but these are like really tough challenges, but I think that's, you know, saving is saving for a very specific reason. And he, when people say organized, you know, I don't think that people really understand what that means, mm-hmm. but that's what he's able to do, right? He's able to organize his staff's direction in terms of their ideas and chemistry and goals and trust. I, I just love how, you know, he, he coaches the coaches and it seems like, it seems like, you know, I've said it a couple times before, but I mean, he, he just goes and he just reloads defensive coordinators. And it's a lot mm-hmm. of times it's not even guys that he's worked with in the past. It's almost kind of like, Oh, that guy, I think that guy's a really good coach. And I think he could come in here and he could, he could maybe enhance our staff, but at the same time, I'm going to teach him our defense, you know, kind of yep. the same thing that, that Belichick does with the Patriots, you know, He'll bring in other guys, but they're teaching them what they do. They keep the same system for everybody else. The other, the other guy coming in, you know, I always thought that that was kind of, kind of an amazing thing to be able to do because usually when you bring in a new coordinator, what do they want to do? They want to run their stuff, you know. Okay, yep. blow the whole thing up and do that. I just think he's so good at being able to, to manage those people, teach them what we do, and, and here's how we do it. Well, that's like when we went to Michigan State and, and uh, you know, he was the head coach and who was it? D'Antonio was one of the yep. corners coaches and, and Saban was in his, his meeting rooms, you know, the whole first two years. And it talked about how, you know, D'Antonio wasn't, I'm sure, the biggest fan of that part of it, but made him a lot better of a coach. And, and now he's been the head coach there. And, and I forget, but their turnover there at Michigan State's like five people in the past, you know, however many years, something, something incredible. Yeah. And again, like we're talking about a really simple idea, like coach or coaches that seems like such simple math. And like, if you read that in a leadership book, you'd almost skip over it. You'd be like, yeah, of course I would coach my coaches on what to do. But again, <laughs> yeah. 
it's a difficult thing. It gets overlooked. There's so much to do, but the guys that take the time to do it the right way, like that's how they become, they, that's how they can continue to do what they do. There's, there's no doubt. And the research is, is huge. I mean, any, any job, any employee, the number one reason why they leave is they feel like they're not being developed or they're not having a chance to advance. So if you're not doing that, I mean, usually you're kind of hitting on the thing that's going to make your assistants the most disheartened or angry. So I couldn't agree more, man. It's, it's a lost art for some guys or some guys want to control the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's something that I think one of the reasons why we started this podcast, you know, Harper said, coach, I want to do a podcast because I want to get better. I'm like, well, guess what? I still want to get better too. And I love talking ball. Let's do it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, to me, it's just an innate desire to, to want to do those things. Why, why would a head coach kind of squelch that, you know? Right. Exactly. Coach, while you were at while you were at Tulsa and you're getting to watch all this film as as a defensive GA, what what were some of the offenses at the time that you were like, hey, if I ever get to do this offensive thing again, that, that's kind of the offense I'd like to to start really diving into and getting into. Oh man, that was an awesome time to be studying film all the time because you know every the huddle wasn't extinct yet, so like no huddle was just kind of picking up, or if people were doing it, like they were dabbling with it and they weren't efficient as efficient with it and fly sweep stuff was all the rage and still really cool and new to people and like people hadn't mastered it. So I, you know, the person that I loved the most and became a huge fan of was Tom Herman. Hmm. But I wasn't watching Tom Herman, Ohio state film. I was watching Tom Herman, Iowa state. Film. Iowa state. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And that was, I remember vividly, uh, bringing in the defensive coordinator, like, how are we going to defend this? And they were in two by two. Everybody does it now. 11 personnel. You run wide zone away from the tight end. You lock the backside tackle. And they would just read the inside linebacker and they'd throw the seam or hand it off. And, like, that was a new, you know, a newer thing then. And I remember watching that, like, this guy's a freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> RPO in it, baby. like, yeah, exactly. People were like, you want to watch Iowa State film? And I was like, yeah, I want to watch I- – and then BG, the defensive coordinator, gave me so much crap. He's just I'm, – I'm a sensitive guy sometimes, so I'm easy to, to make fun of. Well, Herman's a <laughs> genius. He's a member of the Mensa Society. you got to take the test and prove that you're, like, of the 1%. So BG just always be like, Biggs, better take that Mensa test. Only way you're going to have a career in football. Like, okay, cool. Thanks, yeah. He's like, Tom Herman, you smart guys. <laughs> well, it's got to make you feel a little better now uh, where you see where he is now. Yeah, exactly. I knew you were on this. Well, I think that's what it was. Is we were we were going to play Iowa State next year. He had just gotten hired at Ohio State. So we never played against him. But we were breaking down his film from the year before. It was just one of those coaches, like, they had a two-year peak. And, like, they really took off. And it was like, what were they doing? And they were doing all these really creative things on offense, doing some really cool stuff with quarterback run game. They were really opening up their RPOs. Their play-action game was super sweet. I watched a ton of that stuff. I worshipped Cliff and Dana at the time because they were just getting it going at Houston. So we were watching a ton of them. Uh, like, I couldn't watch enough Case Keenum. He was a good one. Thought he was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was smoking. I remember watching playoff games with Case this year when he was with the Vikings. And I was like, yeah, we were down seven points. Conference, go, whoever wins goes to the conference championship. Houston's undefeated. They came out in 21 personnel with two receivers in the slot, fourth and one, 
we get the ball back, we had momentum, we were going to go score. And Case raises up, we played zero with press. He signals for the inside fade by the outside guy. Fearless, fourth and one, takes a three-step drop, the 42-yard touchdown, field it. And I was just like, holy <laughs> cow. That's so funny you say that play because we just had someone on talk about the exact same play. Hi, Hines, Are you serious? Hines said the exact same thing. It's, I, yeah. I would never forget that play. Cliff's over there wearing Converse on the sideline because he's the coolest freaking guy in America. I'm like drooling, worshiping him in case he's, 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 he's got his Ray, he's got his Ray Ban, got his Ray Bans on on a cloudy day. Exactly. Yeah, the gel is perfect in his hair, and it's like this is as creative as they can get. They're gonna come out in 21 personnel and under center versus us, and it's like, well, yeah, football's still football. We got better guys on the outside. You're playing press man, and you're screwed. I remember I was sitting in the box on that one. I'm like, whoa. I think I turned the, the headset off. I'm like, man, that took some balls. <laughs> that That's sweet. when we'd go to the B side, Walls. Yeah, Walls, go to B. Can oh, you no. believe that? <laughs> Can you believe that call? Oh, my God. That was unbelievable. That dude got onions. <laughs> that year, dude, we, we went against some of the best QBs. So, honestly, you know, you're, you're talking about being able to watch you know, Houston being able to watch some of Herman stuff. It was, it was cool for me to watch Boise state when they had Kellen Moore and all the, the, the pro style pass concepts they had motions, shifts, moves. So I liked watching them. And then of course we also got to go against Landry Jones at OU and then uh, Whedon at Oklahoma state. So you got to watch some of the, you know, some of the, the spread masters and some of the, you know, multiple formation masters. And then you had QBs that were just maestros at the line of scrimmage. You know, for me, we played four NFL quarterbacks that year. Was Lincoln Riley at uh, East Carolina that year? Did you guys play them? He was there, but we we they were on the other side. Uh, I gotcha. Of the division, so you, yeah, we did. They were on our rotation, or else, yeah. But I remember watching a ton of them because I remember back then they'd score seventy points. You'd be like, "How do you score seventy points in a game? Like, how (laughs) is there enough time to do that?" Well, and Southern Miss was was all tempo stuff too. With uh, was Blake Blake Anderson the guy that's at. Uh, Arkansas State. So, I mean, that's what a lot of people would want to bag on, you know, Conference USA or the, the American now what it is. But a lot of great coaches come out of there, and usually they're having to, to scheme things up. You know, it's not like they're just saying, oh, cool, I got Randy Moss and I'm throwing fades to a guy, you know, unless you were Houston. Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a cool I remember- thing even about Houston. You know, we had a really good track program, so we could bring in some guys that weren't recruited to play football anywhere else. You know, our, our top receiver, Patrick Edwards, was a walk-on. You know, just a, a he fast, us. Yeah, a fast guy that was undersized. But um, Houston, you know, kind of put their offense around guys like that. And then, you know, you get lucky with a guy like Case Keenum, obviously. But, um, you know, kind of build stuff around that off of our offense, off of, off of who we had. Yeah. And something cool I remember about that I didn't know at the time but finally started to figure out is, like, I remember, like, if somebody ran a play, we'd play – we'd run. I'd almost like want to skip over it. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I know how to run that. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to watch that. But then you'd yeah. watch it. And if you'd go back and watch it, you'd be like, but why does it work when they do it? And it doesn't work when we do it. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, like I remember, and that's why we were always trying to figure out like the whys, you know, walls and like trying to question things and like how to make it easier. Cause it's like, if we run the same pass play that they run, but they're completing it 10% more. Like, what are they doing? And it's not necessarily that play, but maybe they're coaching it better. But it's, you know, how is it incorporated with the system? And how do they teach it to the guys that it's super easy and they mastered it? 
Yeah, the, re- the release of the receiver, the stem, the drop, you know, h- how are they blocking it up front? Maybe it's a, a car instead of a Cali. I mean, yeah, all those little things, you know, m- make a difference. And it was nice because then you could always kind of go back to the experts. So we could write down some questions. You could go ask Denver. Right. Or you could go or you go ask BG. Like I, I always loved being able to ask BG about things like pin pull. So I remember like, you know, I'd been running some of it at Jenks and I'm like, hey, I, I want to keep keep getting better at this. I wanted to go ask defensive guys, you know, what, what's the deal with pin pull? How, how do you blow up pin pull? How do you defeat it? So once you'd kind of figure out those, those techniques that they wanted to use, now you could go back and tell your guys, okay, well, here's how they're going to stop it. You know, and, and here, here's some ways and here's some techniques that you guys can use when they do try some of this stuff. Yeah. That was the, the best resources is you'd find something you'd like, you'd draw it up. And then that's when you'd get the best answers as you go down to the defensive side and be like, Hey, how would you stop this? Or yes. what makes this difficult for you? And that's why I loved being on the defensive side of the ball is like learning how they think and how they break down film. So you could start to understand like how you could attack what they wanted to do and how they were going to take away things. Like once you understand, you know, know thy enemy and then you can attack him best. Totally agree. Totally agree. I was, I mean, I've always said it and I just, I just messed with coach Clink. I just say, you know, you got, you guys get to do all the fun drills you guys get to do all the, all the fun stuff because it's like, well, yeah, defense is reaction. It's getting lined up right, and we just go play. You know, we're offense. It all has to be choreographed. So Yeah, 11 guys have to be perfect on offense for it to work. Yeah, defensive guys, it's, it's, it's different because, you know, those guys that always say one, one guy wins on defense, they blow up an entire play. So that's what they yeah, bank on. We like slants inside. And- yeah, we, we play our technique really, really well. We play our fundamentals really well. All I need is one guy to defeat a block boom, he makes the play, the, the play's over. The other 10 guys could have yep. got their ass kicked, but one guy won, we win. Yep. Coach, you've taken some, some flack for, for Coach Herman, um, and I, I think I have too, and I didn't even play for him, but I think I've, heard, I've gotten more crap from him kissing his players than, than anything else <laughs> in, the, in the coach's office. And I, I get asked that at least once a week. Yo, would you let Herman kiss you? I'm like, I wasn't there when Herman was there, but no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I get made oh, fun trust of me. more than anything else. I was a – Tim Tebow worshiper because I went to the Army All-American Combine with him when we were in high school and fell in love at 18. Oh my God! You, and then you got you got roasted on Tebow. I got roasted because that was the Bronco year. He went crazy, and we're all a lot of us GAs were from Colorado. We were always watching the Broncos game, and I was freaking worshiping the ground he walked on, and just <laughs> no one could let me have it enough. <laughs> we always every everybody always kind of had their guy like. Like Heinz would always get railed on or Gus Malzahn because he was always talking about Gus, oh, yeah. Gus, 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 you know. <laughs> you were always getting railed on for Tebow. So, I mean, it was always somebody getting railed on for something. That's what made a good group, man. <laughs> it was a fun group. Hey, so I know also, you know, you were obviously played special teams. You got to do a lot of special teams work with uh, Coach Downing. What were some of the things you took away from that? Maybe some things that you use now? Because, again, I, I think – you know, when, when, when people sit down, it's very rare when you go to the, to the bar with a bunch of coaches and they're like, hey, tell me all about your punt team, you know. Very rare to, to well, get that I, insight, I, but I think I it's ran, so important. Uh, I ran the old um, Coach Carl overload rugby throwback pass this past year, Walter, that you taught me. Hell yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> that thing's a son of a gun to defend. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
you know, I, I tease people all the time just because I, I was a kicker and I know kickers. I think you should uh, kickoffs just automatically go to the 20. Punts go 40 yards automatically. And if you want to <laughs> kick a field goal, you just play rock, paper, scissors. He would say that all the time. He's like, dude, he goes, I agree with you because they try to make fun of make fun of uh, Biggs for being a kicker. He's like, no, I agree. We should get kickers out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's ruining football. Get yes, them out. <laughs> he's, get them out of the game. They're taking up a roster spot. We can just put the ball here, put the ball there. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Nobody's watching those plays anyways. They just want it to be over. The NCAA, all they do is vote about how to make those plays safe, the most unsafe plays in football. I just gave you a really simple answer. You can make rock, paper, scissors famous in America again. <laughs> well, they talk about safety. I still say to this day, I don't know how shield punts allowed. This, yeah. It's the worst thing you could do for your face. They do shield punt and I, let those linemen just sit there and take it. And just like as a special teams coordinator, like every time you watch it, you think it's going to get blocked. You're like, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> Please good yeah, operation time. Fight. Please good operation time. Please good operation time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> and the linemen hate going over there in practice, and they're like, oh, geez. <laughs> That's Nothing a- like getting run into at full speed and just standing <laughs> still. I think that was their goal, too, for a lot of them. Just, they're like, ah, we're not going to block it. Just go. Let's send our craziest dude in there and just hit those linemen as hard as he can just for the fun of it. Yeah, exactly. There's always a guy on a football team who wants to do that. For sure. <laughs> but until my idea takes off, it is a super important part of the game. And I love Coach Downing to death. He is a second father of mine. He knows that. He yep, doesn't he's a good dude. Anyways. He probably couldn't. But, I don't know if he could figure out how to hit play on a podcast. No, he could not. <laughs> is it on the cloud? Where's not. <laughs> he is uh, an awesome dude, though. I mean, he, he was another one of those guys, like you said, like, you know, father figure – you could go in his office anytime you wanted and just sit there and have a conversation literally about anything. That's why he liked me because we just sit there and talk about Lebowski and point break the whole time. It was awesome. Downing time. Yeah. Close hey, let's the door, go. 45 minutes. You were, you were talking about something. Yeah, go, go have downing time, and then we'd sit there and I'd eat all of his peanut butter M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Where else would you want to be as a GA? Exactly. Well, it's crazy when you're around a special teams coach that is really good because um, it seems to be either one way or the other. Uh, you know, you get the guys that you just need a special teams coordinator, so they're there. Or you get around some of those guys that that's all they do is special teams, and they're they're the special teams guru guys. And it's like, man, it's unreal how much they know about special teams. Like even little stuff that I would never have thought of. Our special teams coach is going over, and you're like, okay, this guy, you know, he knows it all about special teams. Well, I tell you that we won the conference championship at the University of Tulsa. Because Central Florida was punting into the wind, and the ball was bouncing back after it had bounced because the wind was taking it back towards the punter. So the snapper jumps up and taps it to try and snap it, and the ball sitting there. And Coach Downing, super attention to detail, special teams coordinator, always preached if they touch it and don't take control of the ball, you're a free runner. Go pick it up. Hmm. So Central Florida tips it. They think the ball is dead. Our returner is sprinting like a madman picks the ball up, takes off, scores a game-winning touchdown. Wow. Yep, because he knew the rules and because Coach Downing had been preaching it since day one that he was there. <clears throat> Coach Downing had this huge 
Word document that we would go over every year in the last special teams meeting before the regular season prep week. And it went over like the 76 weird things that could happen on a special teams play. And at the time you're like, Oh my gosh, I cannot (laughs) believe we are going through this. But it's like, if you knew every single one of those rules, one time was going to make the difference in the game. And the one time it did when we won the conference championship. That's crazy. That's crazy. And so that's what I learned from him is the attention to detail. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I love telling that story every to every one of my partners in high school because all of them think I'm making it up. They're like, that's not a real rule. And I'm like, yes, it is. Google or YouTube, the University of Tulsa versus Central Florida Conference Championship game. It's real. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. I was but in the stadium for that one. Yeah, man, that was that was a fun day. Let's see that's the other big one on the good team about. too, right? I mean, they, you tell them, hey, if you touch the ball, pick it up and hand it to a ref. So obviously they right were exactly older and and you guys were yeah and those were we played them in back to back weeks it was crazy we played them last game of the regular season and then the conference championship two games decided by ten points and like you want to talk about those small dude winning a football game is so hard that's why you know whoever puts in the most time and coaches it the best and attention to details like those are the differences in the game it's five or six plays every time there was one of those differences. Well, how about how about when you and I were down there the prior year? Because I mean, that'd have been the next year when you guys won it. When I was gone, how many how many signals did we steal from those guys? That staff. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm saying, I mean, well, it's just you know, about- you know, the game had kind of the game had kind of caught some of those guys. They're like, oh, we'll just be arrogant, keep doing it the way we have. Well, I mean, the guy may as well be holding up a sign for some of the signals he was given for his defense. I mean, it was easy. Yep. You know, Super that's easy. why. That's why teams have, have kind of had to go to those things, but they, they weren't, you said, attention to detail. You know, they just, yeah. ah, no, no one will steal my signals. Okay, well, see what happens. <laughs> That's another one. Third and eight, four-minute offense, we get the first down, it's over, and you call out the under defense, so we know exactly where the open B-gap was. We called ISO right to it, and who runs third and eight on to win the game, you know what I mean? And we did. And we, we went for 12, 13 yards because they rolled the wrong way. We had an open B-gap, hit the ISO right through it. We walked. Yeah. <clears throat> that was also one of the proudest games of the conference championship because they figured out that I was the signal stealer on the sideline. So the DFO for Central Florida was literally tracking me in the conference championship game on the field with a big towel. trying to hide. <laughs> So I'm just this, this crazy GA sprinting back and forth while they're signaling trying to get around the towel. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I always tell the story too about when we ran into the the UAB GA. Remember we played that oh, whole that game. We had bad. like we had like eighty eight snaps on offense, and it was like yep. like, like eighty seven of them were in twenty one personnel. And they're like they're in four they're <laughs> in four wide trips. They're in four wide trips. How the hell are they in twenty one? Coach, they're in twenty one personnel. I don't know what you want me to do, Coach. They're in twenty one personnel. Because we had a tight end that could flex, and then we had you know a fullback that we moved around a lot, so they were calling it twenty-one, and none of the coaches would believe it. We're like an empty, empty in twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, we'd go up and down the field in four wide, and then we'd be playing with a fullback and a tight end. <clears throat> Their coaches couldn't believe thing, it, right? Like if you if you don't know the defensive side of the ball, like you don't know like why is getting in. Why would I play with four wide receivers if I'm going to go four wide? Why would I still keep my fullback and tight end in the game? And it's like, well, 
because the coach doesn't know to call a 10 personnel defense when you're rolling out 21. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's a lot of guys that don't understand. I mean, defenses, most of the time, they're predicating their calls based on personnel. So yep. if you That's all the time in, you have for. Yeah, line up, line up in heavy personnels and go to some of your, your wide sets. You'll get a very, very basic defense. Or like you said, Walls, you know, North Dakota State goes 22 personnel and then rolls in a new 22 personnel. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't I yeah, told, I hadn't told Biggs. As, a pain. as I said, I, they hadn't, <laughs> hadn't told Biggs that one. They said that was the one that always drove you and I crazy. Is they'd go, okay, hey, 22, and then they'd, they'd get out, and they're like, all right, they're subbing, they're subbing. What's in? 22. They were just in 22. They said three guys went out. <laughs> yeah, it's all the backup fullbacks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, on the Run the Power podcast and stealing signals, my other favorite college football story to tell is we were playing UTEP, and they weren't very good that year, not to be disrespectful, but they <laughs> yeah, which year? Up. <laughs> every <Yeah>. year <laughs> <laughs> and they were up seven nothing and we threw a pick cody green <clears throat> and uh they had the ball on the five yard line and bg the defensive quarter is going nuts and just like you're talking about attention to detail the signaler just raises up and flexes his right arm so what is it it's power and they hadn't <laughs> shown it yet and i was like bg i think it's power Biggs, I don't need guys who think. I need guys who know. I'm like, I know it's power. And he calls the power blitz. He goes, Biggs, if it's not power, I'm sending your ass back to Colorado. And we hit it right in the teeth. <laughs> oh, that's those are the best. See, those are the best stories about being, you know, the GA, just knowing you're going to be the whipping boy. But God, it's fun, man. I love those those heat of the moment stories. I know. It's one of those things you got to stay humble. Like, I go look back all the time. My favorite year coaching was when the five of us were super tight as GAs that year. We were super good at Tulsa. That was the most fun I ever had coaching. But at the time, you're just getting your butt ripped all the time and told how <laughs> stupid your ideas are. And you're like, I can't wait to be a full-time coach. But, man, those times were the best. Because you don't know any better, and all you're doing is learning. And you can just take it all in. It's a freaking blast. Well, that's what – was it Bunting that was saying it? That they were – you know, he was trying to get signs and he was wrong and they said, you're fired, that's it, you're gone. And then and then the yeah. next series, they're like, what you got? What do you got? What do you got this one? <laughs> next series, hey, what do you call? What do you call? <laughs> He's like, uh, you told me to stop signaling. I didn't tell you to stop signaling. <laughs> you're fired again. <laughs> I'm refiring you. All right, cool. I don't, what am I going to do without that $500 check? <laughs> yeah, seriously. How am I going to pay off only a fourth of my credit card this month? I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> Great stuff. So what's it like being back in the high school ranks and then bigs? Coaching in Colorado, being the head man. We, we know, obviously, you know, you're, you're kind of molding your philosophy. You've got three years in now. What are some things you feel like you've, uh, you've made pretty good headway on up there? Well, you know, the best advice I ever got as a coach was if it if you're ever having a bad day, get around the players. And that's why you know, people ask me if ops was fun because I got away with some coaching. And, like, yeah, I would have rather been coaching than picking out what you were going to eat for dinner. But <laughs> the kids, when I was the DFO at UNC, man, they were like, they needed something. They were going to Coach Biggs' office. He was going to always have his door open and, and take care of those guys. And that was my only thing I didn't love about Oregon State is, you know, just a bigger level you get, there's more things to take care of and more meetings and more logistics. So I got farther away from the players. So just being back and 
be, you know, high school coaching, you just get to invest and pour into these kids' lives. And I got a lot of lessons that, I mean, that's all of us do, you know, about what we learned over our time and football is the greatest teacher there is. So being able to share these lessons about life and give it back to the kids is super important. And I really love it. And it takes time. You know what I mean? I get, I get now why college coaches are like, I can't wait to get in my guys. Not that you want to get in your guys, but like going into our third year, I can see our guys understand my language and our culture and like what we're trying to get apart from a teaching standpoint and how our plays work. Just being in it for third, three years, you know what I mean? They, they understand it. They know how to do it. And the best advice I would give anybody. So I got hired in June for the fall season. So it's total scramble mode. I couldn't find a freshman head coach. So I just did it myself. I just had the freshman practice after the varsity would stick around and coach them. And then their games were on different times as the varsity. So I just coached the freshman games. I think as a first year head coach, I would tell everybody to do that because it just accelerated my culture learning process. Cause those freshmen are now my juniors and they just totally drink the Kool-Aid. They know exactly what we're doing, how we're doing it. They know exactly what to expect from me, what our culture is, what our standards are. And now we're just rolling and flying. And it seems like we've been doing it for ages. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I always liked in, in Oklahoma and you, you coach the JV guys, you know, it, so you'd have your, your regular varsity game on Friday, you play whoever, and then you'd play usually that same team on the Monday afterwards. And I, to me, I just thought it, it accelerated your development and your program so much more when, you know, the varsity staff was invested in all your, your sophomores and your, your juniors that are playing in the JV. So I, I think naturally it just makes sense to have your freshmen up there and practice with you if you can get it done. And that's just another fun thing about being a head coach. Like maybe you take a little less time drawing up X's and O's, but now one of my favorite things to do is like, how can we make the practice schedule better? Mm-hmm. Just like we talked about earlier, like another simple idea, coach your entire team all year long. You read that in a leadership book, you're like, yeah, no duh, coach every player. But go watch a football practice and a lot of programs, like mine included, that's a, an area we can all get better at. How do you get the backups more reps? How do you get the freshmen more reps and attention? And just trying to come up with ways to logistically, okay, well, we got enough guys standing around over here. Let's make them do a drill. What drill can be most beneficial? Is this coach really doing that much, being the fourth offensive coach watching teams? No, let's move him over here, have him run this. Now he's empowered as a coach. He's running our offense. We've got a second team session going. He's got the young guys going. I'm always trying to figure out ways that we can maximize what we have coaching-wise and maximize our time developing our players. I think that's huge, and I'm glad that, that you say that that's something that you know you think of just like you would for your you know, offensive system or whatever system you're doing. Do that as a head coach. I think that's a great idea uh, because, like you said, there are so many many uh, schools around around the country that are wasting a lot of time where they've got, you know, 20 guys in a, in a station that only 10 of them are working. The other ones are sitting around. So what do you do with those extra guys? What do you do with – you talked about with those extra coaches that maybe would benefit somewhere better. Yeah, because you know if you're running one team session that every coach isn't coaching and they're – doesn't mean they're not probably not talking to a kid or coaching their position group when they're watching, but, like, what, how do we maximize everyone's time and potential? And uh, So, like, I've gotten guys that two years ago, I don't know that I'd feel super comfortable calling plays, but because they've been calling plays in practice for the second unit for so long now, like, they get the intricacies. And then, like, 
you see their wheels turn, right? This is like the biggest thing I took away from Coach Anderson when I was at Oregon State. It's his mind was always going. Like, I don't know how we weren't successful because he was just constantly thinking about how do we make us better? How do we make it? And I remember thinking like, damn, will I ever be that good that I'm constantly thinking about like the littlest of ways on how we can get better, improve our culture, improve our program. But like now that I'm a head coach, I get it. Like that's just what you do. You're in charge now. You think about things nonstop. So like you empower a coach, you let him call some plays. And now he's like, hey, I'm having trouble when I'm outside zone versus this front and this guy keeps planting in. Like, what is that? Am I coaching it wrong? Do we have to call it different? So you just give people those opportunities and now their mind starts going and they want to get better and they want to find the solution. And that's how you can get really better as a program really quick. Yeah, sometimes you don't, you don't even know the right questions to ask, right? Until you've, until you've like you said, thrown them into a situation where um, they see what some of the downfalls are of what they're doing. You're not even like – you're not even smart enough yet to know what to ask until um, you have someone throw you in that situation. Now you see, oh, okay, like you said, maybe they're doing this on outside zone. I didn't even know that was a question for me. Okay, now, hey, coach, what do I do with something like this? Exactly. It's like that famous money ball scene when the old school scouts are going around the room saying what the problem is. Like, you got to figure out what the problem is first because before you can figure out what solution you need to be looking for. This is deep stuff, man. This is big time stuff. Holy shnikes. Seriously, man. <sighs> Going deep down the rabbit hole today. I love it. <laughs> and we, we, had a, we had a DFO in, in Houston named uh, Tori. And I don't know if you ever got this, but we, we uh, got after her about everything that went wrong with the program. <laughs> and we, we'd, be on the, we'd be on the flight and the, uh, the cable or whatever would go out and everyone would just start screaming at Tori. <laughs> Sounds oh, like yeah, groups. You be- <laughs> But at the same time, like, if you do it perfect, then you're worshipped and everybody thinks you're, like, you're the greatest thing ever. But that was fun being a DFO, especially not being a head coach, because that was, again, like, the first time I started thinking about a program top to down, top to bottom. Because, again, like, you're a GA, you're like, okay, let me think about plays that'll make us better or how to use a player. But when I was in the DFO, it was finally times, like, those, like, the first times I started thinking about practice schedules. Like, hmm. Because, again, I'm just standing out at practice playing the music and shouting out what period it is, right, making sure the chains are spotted and the equipment's running well. And it's like, surely we can do this better. How can we organize our practices better? I'm, I'm anxious to see what you – know, I, I just got back from, from Nebraska. I'm anxious to see what they do when they get it rolling because when, when Osborne was there and he had Frost and those guys, they used to go like four huddles of team. So you'd have, you'd have a team on, you know, the north end of the end zone, the south end, then you'd have two of them at the 50, and they'd be filming all of them. And they'd be getting all their, all their guys reps. So they'd have, you know, all the way down to the fours, those guys were getting reps. So obviously, you know, your threes and fours, they had GAs and guys coaching those levels. But I'm anxious to see if that's something that they, they continue to do, you know, rep out as many plays as they can in, in under two hours like they did at Oregon. But I'm anxious to see if they, they do those things as well. This is one of the coolest things we ever have done. So <clears throat> this is something Press brought back when he was with the Dolphins, when he went to go visit his brother with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. So they would have team going, and the coaches would stand in the middle of the field, and they'd watch the ones, but they huddled back then, so it would take a little longer. But while the ones were going, the twos would be calling the plays in the huddle, and the coaches would just be in the middle going back and forth. Well, with the no huddle, we've evolved that. So if you have three units, so think of it like your ones, and your scout team yep so your coaches stand in the middle of the field 
and you always have two live team sessions going at a time and one group's standing off. So your one offense goes against the scout defense and the two defense goes against the scout or the one offense. And then you just go back and forth and you just have the third unit of offensive defense out. And then all of a sudden the ones stop going against the twos. Now they're going against the scouts. And on the other side, now the scouts go down to that side and flip around or going against the twos and the twos are getting a scout look. They're no longer just giving a look for the offense. Whoa. And so, yeah, I have to diagram this up to, <laughs> to put it on there to show it because I'm not doing a good job explaining it. But what you do then is there's always an offensive emphasis team going and a defensive emphasis team. That's so what I was going to say. You coaches get... turn. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So the defense turns and coaches the defense. The offense turns and coaches the offense. And then you just have your GAs kind of changing which side's giving the scout look. So sometimes the twos are giving the scout look for the one. And then the twos become the stairs and go against the scout team on that same side. So they're not running back and forth. And the coaches are in the middle of the field just changing which side of the field they're coaching. I got gotcha. you. So basically, if you're an offensive coach and you're standing in the middle, one side you'd be coaching your starters, and then the other side you'd be running scout plays for the first defense. Right, exactly. And then when your starters took their break, the you'd twos be, you'd would be, go you'd be coaching. Yep. Yep. And your scout guys are giving the look now for the two defense. Yep. Because the twos are no longer your scout look for the ones on the other side. Awesome. Like it. how you can funnel guys in and out really quick. and Because you, you don't have enough coaches to like spread out on three fields. But if we're all standing on the same field, sure. you don't have to run back and forth. You can get it out real quick. And then you just put the tower in the middle of the film, and so the end zone's always going out. Yep. So you're always mm. he heading towards the end zone. The film, the, the tower in the middle of the field can shoot the butts at all times for the offense. Yeah, because screw the defense. <clears throat> yeah, they don't care. They don't watch film. <laughs> no. They watch uh, fatal car crash videos on YouTube. I've been in a defensive bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> So, that's what I was saying. When we went to Michigan, now it was an 18-hour practice or something ridiculous. But the, cool, the coolest thing we took from it was – or I took from it was they had a guy, which would be awful if it was your job, but his whole job was to write on a whiteboard what the play was called and then hold it up for the guys behind him so everyone could see the play called uh, when it was calling it. So it wasn't 18 different guys trying to steal the coach's uh, sh uh, call sheet. You know, they, they actually had a guy on a whiteboard showing everyone what this next play was. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's really cool. And that's why you go and do stuff, right? You just try to pick up one little thing every time you go somewhere. Sure. I, I just got a nugget right there, man. Thanks, Biggs. You're welcome, man. I'll diagram it up for you so you can show it because I can't describe it at all. No, I, I, I think you did a good job. I, I, I get it. Yeah. It sounds good. And I, I think it's something we could use on, on inside drill uh, as well and, you know, get us some more inside run. Uh, because that's the first thing the coordinator slash, it seems like, is inside, inside run. So trying to get that sped up would be nice. Yeah, because they can't throw the ball or RPO and inside run. Yeah, that's no fun for them. No. Or then they do, and then it's just like 11, person, or 11 people in the field. And it's like, aren't we, aren't we just doing team now? <laughs> that's exactly right. The defense brings in the safeties, and you're like, why, don't, why aren't we just doing team? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we, we got to get the safeties on run fits. Well, we have the, we have the wide receivers block the safeties, so we need the wide receivers now. Yeah, that's well, right. We have the corners replaced, the crack blocks, so we need the corners down here. Okay, well, then we're just playing football now. 
my my favorites when you got the uh you know the qb coach and usually he's a younger qb coach and then uh all of a sudden now you go to inside and he's like oh i got i gotta have my starting qb down here for one-on-ones i'll, I'll send him down there in a little bit well then you never get the quarterback you know you never right. have, you never have the starting quarterback well then you get into your first game or your first scrimmage and you got you know four bad snaps fumbled snaps and then you got you know how come how come our tailbacks and C gap on power because uh, your quarterback is pushing him to C gap. It's like he didn't come down for any inside run. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't? Yeah, we should, look, I, we should look good in one-on-ones, though. That's, I remember Denver saying that, like drawing up plays, and it's like, hey, we better win here one-on-one. That's the only thing open. And it's like, well, you guys spend 20 minutes a day throwing one-on-ones. We better freaking win. <laughs> guys keep chopping my indie my indie time and my inside run time we better be able to freaking complete some one-on-ones yeah i'm under the impression that's all you guys do it should be pretty easy <laughs> that's awesome it was pretty dang funny but it makes sense i mean you know, a lot of these guys you know it should be the the first thing you do center 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 exchange qb exchange and being able to work your handoff stuff it's some qb coaches not one-on-ones and seven on seven way more important same thing man you don't work on that you don't teach the punt returner to pick it up if the defender teaches them like i'm glad heinz taught me this very beautiful lesson that we celebrate wins in this family because winning football games is really freaking hard like it is an odd shaped stupid object it bounces in some messed up ways you gotta work your ever-living tail off to win a football game yeah, it doesn't matter if it's if it's one point or fifty one points. You should you should celebrate with your guys. They should never see you be pissed off after a win. I think no matter what, when they when they win a ball game, no matter how ugly it is, hey, we'll fix it on film tomorrow. But I'm proud of you guys. I'm happy. Celebrate for today. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I respect those guys who like always want to keep getting better, and I do too. But there's a moment to stop and freaking celebrate with. Because if you don't, what are we doing? That's exactly. Right. Exactly. All right, well, Harp's probably going to ask you his offensive line question uh, there, Biggs. I know you've watched more film than just about anyone on the planet, so I'll let him go. Yeah, Coach, so right, uh, kind of last thing I always ask is, is you're watching an offensive line play. What's some things that they would do that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Um, I just love guys that fire off the ball. Anytime you see a guy that's constantly playing a little past the whistle always gets me super fired up. And I mean, I, I, Rowdy, I'm not saying this to suck up to you. I lived with the offensive linemen in college. I constantly <laughs> tell people offensive linemen is the best position group in football. They know the best food. They're the funniest guys on the team. And they're the absolute most important people. Like we, we are a basketball school. We, we could play with 12 tight ends every single year. And I'm trying to teach these guys and give them the culture like, hey, I know you want the ball. I know you want to catch it, run some routes, but if you grow into a tackle, you can earn a scholarship and you can help this football program because if we don't have a good offensive line, I don't care what system we run, what we do, we will not be successful. Offensive line is constantly, I'm preaching, the most important position in football, in my opinion. You you hear it all the time in the NFL, got to have a QB to win. You got to have a QB to win. There's no doubt about it. But QB is still the most dependent position on the football field. Receivers have well, to be in the I, right spot. You have to have, yep. you know, six guys uh, protecting up front. If, if one of those guys isn't doing their job, the quarterback's not going to be very good. I've yet to find a QB that can complete a pass when he's laying on his back. <laughs> Can't happen. 
Yeah. I can't believe the Dallas Cowboys haven't completely changed how the NFL is run. Because they drafted all those first-round linemen. They did it back-to-back-to-back years. Everybody thought uh, Jerry Jones was becoming senile. And then (laughs) Tony Romo gets hurt, and they throw in Dak Prescott. And I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback, but trade Dak Prescott with Paxton Lynch and see what happens. Like, I don't think we're talking about how great Dak Prescott is if he's been playing behind the Broncos' offensive line since he was a rookie. And I think Paxton Lynch might have been a lot more successful because when you can just dominate the line of scrimmage and you have a great running back and you can run the football, like everything else is open. No, and they made that they made that uh, Notre Dame guard, I'm sure, a lot of money too because, you know, the Cowboys were, like you said, they were crazy for drafting a guard and a center in the, in the first round and in two consecutive Yeah, they years. weren't even drafting tackles. And, and now, they look, now they look brilliant. Now that guy at Notre Dame is going to go, you know, top ten pick probably. Oh, yeah. Well, you talk to, you know, again, I do marketing consulting for my nine to five. And, guys, what quarterback do you want? I'm like, I want the guard from Notre Dame. Are you freaking <laughs> doing it? Automatically makes our offensive line better. <laughs> Who? You want to draft the lineman? No way. I was like, I'd keep Trevor Simeon if we had that offensive lineman. We'll be fine. Sign Nate Solder. Have Rowdy uh, Bowles grow up. Draft that lineman from Notre Dame. We're good to go. I, like I said, I can't agree more. You know, I just think the, the quarterbacks get overhyped just because, you know, yeah, there's a, a select handful of guys that are that are pretty dang good, but you still need to have people playing in front of them. No doubt about it. Yeah. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.